We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween season. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Today we are here to break down the Giants' week three loss to the Dallas Cowboys on the All-22 Coaches game film for the defensive side of the ball. We got some good things cooking, baby, that I want to promote first. Eh, promote whatever you want to call it. I want to mention, for starters, me and Nick are formulating plans behind the scenes to get this, to turn these All-22 film breakdowns into a weekly stream on YouTube. Everyone has said, we love the podcast, we love the content, we love the analysis, but it would be so much better. And we know this, if you could watch along with us. It ain't going to be perfect. It ain't going to be scripted. We don't have time to edit it. But what we will do is share our screen as we talk through the plays and do exactly what we do, which is watch the play breakdowns. And as we're watching them, break them down for you. And so you'll be able to watch along with us. We'll pause. It won't be pretty, like I said. There'll be some choppiness to it, but you'll at least get to see the play if you want to, which from what we've heard, most of you do. So be on the lookout for that. We'll tweet out links to that YouTube page. One thing we'll definitely be asking is to subscribe to that YouTube page. Hit the like anytime you watch a stream. We need to build that page up from scratch, and you guys are going to have to help us do that. More so than I've ever tasked uh, you guys with helping us with the iTunes reviews and everything like that. This is going to be a whole new ball game of help we're going to need from you. So that's the good news. Better news for me, at least, and I think for the podcast in general, I got a new microphone finally coming in, boys and girls. CBS chalked one up. Hit the hit the hit the sticks for me. I didn't have to pay for it, so that's good news on my end. And so I got a new microphone coming, new microphone stand, a mixer, which I have no idea how to use. But Nick swears by a mixer, an audio mixer. And some of you have reached out, have said the mixer is a good idea. So great, I'll use the mixer, and we'll have, we'll be getting better sound. Because I'll say this. I think my sound issues are a bit overstated, but I listen to the podcast back for quality control. And the biggest issue is that my microphone is middling. We'll call it like a uh, Tay Crowder. The Tay, no, it's not that. that was, it's close. It's between like a, we'll, we'll call my microphone like the, uh, 
I'll give it like a Julian Love-ish, but Julian Love's probably too good for my mic. And then Nick's mic is just like an Odori Jackson out there. So it's like, it doesn't compare. My sound is middling compared to his elite quality. So I do hear it when I play back the pods. I know what you guys are saying, but that could be fixed as soon as we'll see. Maybe tomorrow's podcast because I have high hopes for that as well. But just good stuff going on for me and for the podcast. Keep an eye out for that. But now, Nick, let's dive into the film. Dive into the defensive side of the ball. Maybe the first time we saw Wink Martindale lose the chess match at times to the opposing offensive coordinator. But before we get into all this, I want to ask you what I asked you on last night's show, Nick. After watching the All-22 film, what would you say is maybe the biggest difference in your opinion or just something you maybe noticed that you didn't while watching the broadcast or anything that stood out from that type of standpoint? There's really no difference. It's just things that I thought I saw were substantiated. Giants can't protect the lateral runs, which is funny too, Dan. Remember back when we first started this podcast or when I first came on in 2019, Leonard Williams with a week nine game in 2019, just in his first game with the New York Giants, they played Dallas Cowboys and it might've been a, a primetime game. The Giants couldn't stop anything from a lateral rushing standpoint. And Kellen Moore was the offensive coordinator at that time. That was his first year as the offensive coordinator. And here again against the New York Giants, different coordinator, different defense mostly. He does the same exact thing with those lateral runs by using tight ends who are in two-point stances and wide receivers to block down to create the seal and pull that play side tackle that we kind of mentioned a little bit in last night's podcast and the quick reaction podcast. The Giants' inability to set the edge and flow and scrape over the top to, to make the tackle on those plays proved to be critical in the in this loss. And a lot of the reason, and I think <laughs> this might be a big takeaway for you, and I, it's something I figured after watching the film just live, the linebackers, man, they're, they're such an issue on this team. And I felt like Kellen Moore forced the Giants' hand to play the linebackers much more than they did against Carolina when Ben McAdoo ran 80% 11 personnel out there. And I'm really hoping that opposing offensive coordinators don't look at this film and then do something like you said. It's probably not going to happen. This is probably not an actual thing. But imagine a coordinator looks at this tape and then has the the wherewithal somehow to look at the tape of that 2019 Cowboys game you referenced. Another one that comes to mind was the Cardinals game from 2020 and the Ravens game from 2020 where the same issues were obvious. They were killing the Giants on lateral runs. And I really hope a coordinator doesn't have the wherewithal to be like, this has not really been fixed for three years. Like Blake Martinez, I guess, helped it in some ways, but not really because he was the only one out there who could help defend these kinds of runs and so I'm hoping this doesn't become a thing for the Giants because I don't really see a solution in sight the hope is maybe Jalen Smith who they signed to the practice squad and was in your mind in your opinion in my mind both on the film pretty damn good last year all things considered we're not saying he's some all pro linebacker is going to just step right in but maybe someone who could help hopefully but I hope this doesn't become a thing Nick because I don't really see too many solutions for them from a personnel standpoint i'm sure they can adjust what they do schematically and i want to go down narrative street real quick here because i have seen a lot of you know trading takes this week um a lot of people have just very simply said here's the stats of the giants run defense with leonard williams here's the stats of the giants run defense without leonard williams and this clearly shows the reason the giants run defense struggle because leonard williams was on the field from watching the film on my on un- from my un- uneducated mind 
I didn't really see it that way. It's not what Dexter Lawrence saw either. Dexter Lawrence said we weren't beat with the inside runs. We were beat on the perimeter with those outside runs. And as I watched this game, I thought the bigger issues were the linebackers not scraping and making plays. Linebackers hesitant. A lot of the issue with me with Crowder is he's so hesitant. Just go in and make a play. Read your, read it and react to it. His reaction time is so damn slow. His instincts to me are so bad for an inside backer. And it make, makes sense. He was never really that role at Georgia, right? He wasn't in the Kobe Dean, that Georgia defense he came out of. Um, same thing goes for Calitro. And then the other thing that you mentioned on the reaction pod, and then a few minutes ago, Nick, we just didn't have the edge setters that we've had. We weren't, we didn't do the same job we've done in the edge. Like there are a couple places. Ezo Jolari stood out as maybe not doing the best job setting the edge one in particular. So what would you say to that narrative that this is all because Leonard Williams was out? It's certainly not all because Leonard Williams was out. I think the Giants missed Leonard Williams because even though they weren't beat on the inside runs, he does such a good job elongating and taking that block and, and just kind of stretching out the path of running backs on those lateral runs. But I didn't feel like Justin Ellis, Nick Williams, or even Mondu had that bad of a game. A lot of it was scheme from Kellen Moore blocking down, using those wide receivers and those tight ends in such an advantageous manner to, to create a seal. And then it's going to be on the linebackers to scrape over the top. And I don't think these linebackers should be starting for an NFL team. But I will say in terms of the hesitancy, a lot of those plays, it's Tay Crowder protecting his initial gap and just kind of staying there. Tay Crowder doesn't have a fellow player with him. And Tay Crowder isn't even this player either. And this is why it's such a crappy situation to really account for the possible mistakes or or hesitant nature of the other linebacker. They're, they're both not great players. So if one is a little hesitant, the other one's not going to go and make the play like Blake Martinez would. And this is on that 42, 42, I think it was, yard run by Tony Pollard, Dan, that's a play where Austin Calitro has an uncovered lineman climbing up to him. Terrible situation to be in. He goes inside where Dexter Lawrence already is. Dexter Lawrence already beat Tyler right. Biotis and, and had total lean and, and total leverage to that side to protect that gap. Calitro thought he could use his quickness to shoot underneath Peters there. He couldn't. And Peter just clamped down on him. And what did that do? That left a huge hole in the B gap. Jihad Ward actually set the edge pretty well there. That wasn't yes. on Jihad Ward. That's on Austin Calitro. But I will say, Austin Calitro is trying to make a play. We've seen linebackers do that, especially in aggressive defenses like this. If anybody's to blame, it's Calitro. But typically, you have that weak side linebacker, or I think that was a weak side run. So that strong side linebacker scrape over the top and kind of assist Calitro in, in his aggressiveness. But Tay Crowder had Zach Martin right in his lap. So none of these linebackers are putting themselves into a position to assist their teammates when their teammates attempt to make plays. And none of those linebackers are good enough to make said plays. So it's just a recipe for disaster. You broke that down perfectly. And I think as far as the narrative goes, while it wasn't all Leonard Williams in either of our minds, he did, you know, not having him did play an impact. At least in my mind, there were times where he'll take up a double team, right? Or he'll require more attention than those other guys. There were also times where I felt like, you know, just on some of the inside runs where his presence was a little bit, his, his absence was a little bit noticeable, but ultimately for me, it was the past game where they really missed having a guy like Leonard Williams, yeah. which is funny because he's not like Justin Sim or Jeffrey Simmons. He's not that type or, you know, the dude from who I keep forgetting, Grady Jarrett. He's not really that type at the same time. He kind of is a light version of that. Like you need him to help the rest of it go in the pass rushing game. Like when you don't have that push at all, because unfortunately Dexter Lawrence to me, only really gets that kind of play. He had one pretty good pass rush rep that I remembered that stood out to me. 
But I feel like he is a much better pass rusher productivity wise when Leonard Williams is on the field. And I think when he's not on the field, that takes a little away from a Dexter Lawrence as a pass rusher. And then it also takes away from the edges as well, though. Most of this was just quick game by Kellen Moore. Like, I don't really when you watch the film, it's not really like, oh, my God, is he's and came on Thibodeau at such bad games. Like, eh, it was kind of just scheme. It was kind of just where were the opportunities for them? But as far as just where were the opportunities for them, it's harder for edges when you're playing quick game. But it's not as hard for a guy like Leonard Williams if he's lined up in a good advantageous spot, like a three tech position or something like that. So his presence was felt it was missed, but I just wanted to address that narrative because it's been a big one that was floating around. And you touched on this too, Dan, the cave Thibodeau narrative. A lot of people were like, where was this guy? This guy's too. I put up all 19 of his past rushing snaps and I did that purposefully. Okay. Because on any of those snaps, Dan, where were you like, oh man, cave Thibodeau is just right. absolutely stonewalled. He can't do Not anything. a single one. Not a single one. And the guy had a really, really nice swim move that, that created immediate four. separation on the fourth and four. But Wink Martindale ran that same blitz that he ran three times against yeah. Carolina. He ran it twice in this game. And both times, Cooper Rush figured it out. And he ran How it earlier. Cooper Rush processing at that rate? The Cooper Rush game that he put together was just wild to me. Like, is he like, would you rather have Cooper Rush or Tyrod Taylor? I'm sure it's Tyrod Taylor, but is it like students processing at like elite level in this game? It was weird. He made the Giants pay several different times for being an off covered. And that's something that we knew. He's very comfortable in this offense. If you want to play off on him, he's going to take what is there. If you want to blitz him, he's going to read it pre-snap. And if it diagnosed post-snap, he's going to, he's going to attack and he's going to throw hot. And he did that twice in two high leverage situations. So I'm not going to sit here and knock Aziz Ojolari or Kayvon Thibodeau. There really wasn't a lot that they could do in order to actually get to the passer because Kellen Moore schemed a wonderful game plan to get the football out of Cooper Rush's hand quick. And he also got a credit rush. I know it's kind of ugly and kind of gross to sit here and praise the backup quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, but he played a really good game in prime time on the road. The tape tells the story. That's our job. That's what we do on Big Blue Banter. We watch the film and we evaluate what we see and we provide analysis. So we're just going to tell it like we see it. Cooper Rush played an incredible game. What you just broke down was exactly why I felt like he played a great game. He's just calm and comfortable back there. He read those blitzes. He threw to the right hot reads, which I don't even often see some of the starters in the NFL do. I see a lot of starters in these past few years miss some of the things that he was able to pick up. And then he also threw with good ball placement a lot of this game. Like he overthrew the one go route on that third and 10. That was like a few, maybe a tick in front of the receiver, but also could have been a big play on Fabian Moreau, which I did not think he had good coverage on that one personally. But then he threw some dimes in this game too. So it's like the touchdown to CeeDee Lamb. That red zone route is a dime ball. And I see quarterbacks miss that throw all the time. I know it's a great catch, but it's a great throw too. The one that he threw into the bucket in between the two defenders, the lamb along the left sideline, he threw it to the field side, he threw to both sides of the field. Like he had a really good game. And I think the other most important thing you said here was like, was that, look, if you look at a box score, it says the giants had zero sacks, right? But when you actually watch the game and you watch the film, you know that this was not on Aziz Ojolari. This was not on Kayvon Thibodeau. Everyone's like, oh my God, I've seen some people, Nick, like telling me in my replies, like you can know after one game, if an edge rusher is going to be anything. So I already know Kayvon Thibodeau's done. Really, dude, watch the clip Nick put up. He literally put up all of the pass rushing plays. If you can watch that, and then come back to me and say, you now know that he's going to be a bust. I'll just going to be like, God bless you, bro. Uh, God bless your, God bless your eyes for this game. Cause I don't see it. Like Nick said, no stone walls had one really good pass rush up, but I would say the one thing, Nick, that I learned from this game on the film 
versus watching the first time around would be simply, and I knew this already going into this, though there's been a lot of people jumping off this bandwagon for some reason in, in like recent days and weeks and years. But Kellen Moore called a phenomenal game. Like we spent all last podcast praising Mike Kafka. We've praised Mike Kafka for three straight weeks now. I got to say, like, as far as everything I've seen, I think Kellen Moore called the best game of any of the games I've seen so far, Giants or other team. Just when you consider every factor here, like everyone's like, oh, they have better weapons, the Cowboys. Eh, do they? They have one amazing weapon in uh, CD Lamb, but the Giants have just as good weapon from the running back position. Maybe honestly better, a lot better in Barkley. And so like Jalen Tolbert, Noah Brown, Pendergrass or whatever the hell that tight end's name was. I mean, there is one other elite weapon who I didn't mention, Jake Ferguson, the tight end, rookie <laughs> tight end they have, number 87. <laughs> but I mean, look, he has a backup quarterback here, a rookie left tackle, a 40-year-old left guard, Terrence Steele, who they've somehow made into like this good player who unfortunately looked pretty good in this game. It's so, like the weapons aren't really there. He schemed up an amazing game, man. Situational play calls. He did it in the run game. He did it in the pass game. So that was what I saw in film. Just an absolute masterclass from Kellen Moore on that side of the ball. Yeah, we'll go through it once we get into the game log. But even how he utilized his personnel, I felt like was genius to to take away what the Giants probably wanted to do. You want to put your best 11 out there. And the Giants' best 11 is having rookie Dane Belton out there in a three-safety type package, in my opinion. You don't want to have multiple linebackers out there. But when you roll 12 personnel out there 27.9% of the time and 13 personnel out there 11.5% of the time, and you consider the fact that they didn't have Dalton Schultz and they were doing this with Ferguson, with Pendershot, two rookies, and then Sean McKeon, who's getting out there playing 11 snaps, it's pretty wild. And they were effective when they ran the football and they were effective when they worked the pass play action rollouts and just play action passes. A lot of quick stuff. I have to applaud Kellen Moore for his ability to take advantage of Wink Martindale in this game. And I get a big blue view YouTube. If anybody wants to go check out big blue views, YouTube page, I broke down about 10 of the plays on defense for the New York giants and how Kellen Moore kind of got the upper hand on Wink Martindale. And look, this isn't me jumping off the Wink Martindale ship or anything like that. This is a great defensive mind against a great offensive mind and the great offensive mind ended up winning. And that's going to happen. Sometimes it's going to happen. It's not something I am overly worried about, but you just hope that they can figure it out and also just hope that they can really stop the rushing attack on the lateral portions of the field, which I felt like they did in the second half because the Giants were really anticipating those right. little touch passes and end arounds that Tony Pollard. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why is this new water called Liquid Death? Because it will brutally murder your thirst. And the recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. I've tried Liquid Death, and I am still here. I'm not plastic, nor am I thirsty anymore, because my former parched state was quenched by the tart acidic taste of one of their flavors, Severed Lime. The lime became severed because it messed with another Liquid Death flavor, Mango Chainsaw, which combines real agave nectar with Leatherface to slice the uncomfortable drought festering in your oral cavity. Into berries and fruit, go six feet deep with a heartbeat with their sparkling flavor, Bury It Alive. If you love still or sparkling water, go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. That's liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Yeah, there are even moments in this game where like the Giants were playing too far off in coverage and Cooper Rush and the Cowboys just took advantage of that with quick hitting throws and screens and type of stuff to the outside. That's great coaching. That's great quarterbacking, I guess, from Cooper Cup, at least from a processing recognition standpoint. I think the point you made was so astute. Like we see a lot of these coordinators win the chess match with their play calling situationally, their schemes, the route combinations. We also saw a coordinator win a chess match with just the personnel grouping, right? When you play almost a little bit, a tick under half your snaps in 12 or 13 personnel. And what Nick means by that is either two tight ends on the field or three tight ends on the field. It doesn't really give Wink Martindale, the opposing defensive coordinator, an option to do what he wants to do, which is take these linebackers off the field. He wants to play one linebacker. That would be beautiful for him. And you know who would let him do that? Ben McAdoo, because Ben McAdoo (laughs) ran 84% of his plays in 11 personnel. And that was beautiful. That was perfect for Wink. Guess who's not going to let him do that? I forget the name of the Bears offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, right? Is that his name? Getze, Getze. Luke Getze's not going to let him do that at all. They're going to run heavy personnel for sure. That's not good. And I don't think that, honestly, once we get to it, I don't think the Packers are going to let him do that either. So we have an issue in my mind, Nick, when the teams are going to run nearly 50% of their plays like this in heavy personnel packages. I don't know exactly what Wink Barn deal is going to do to counter this unless they can get Jalen Smith up to speed, unless they can do something else at this linebacker position. Because when they run this personnel, and as Kellen Moore proved, it's very difficult for the Giants. They just simply don't have the personnel right now at linebacker. <laughs> it's so weird, too, right? Because at the start of training camp, Giants had Blake Martinez feel pretty good about it. They had a six-round pick who we were like, oh, yeah, he's good. You know, he, he might make the team. Darian Beavers absolutely balled out in preseason and training right. camp. If he doesn't get injured, man, 
he is out there possibly starting over Tay Crowder. That was the momentum that was building up for a guy like Darian Beavers, and it sucks. And you couple that with the release of Blake Martinez, which I still contend he went to ownership or he went to the general manager was like, Hey, can I just get cut? Like, I'm not going to play as many snaps here. I think that's what happened. I think it was a very mutual type of situation. But look at mine yet. I know he was talking with the Ravens and JPP ended up signing with the Ravens. I don't know if, if Blake Martinez did dude, yeah. come back, man, because I, I don't care. Like he's not the best scheme fit. Like everyone says that. It's like, well, what does that really mean? Like maybe it's not going to maximize his skill set. I think it's safe to say that, but he could still step in here and be substantially better than anybody the New York Giants have at the second level. That's the way I think we should be looking at it. It's a very weird cut. Like the only thing that would make any sense to me is they watch the practice film. And they're like, this dude is shot athletically after the surgery, which I guess happens sometimes to athletes. And maybe it's a reason that he, you know, took a cup of coffee with the Raiders and they even said no. And then he went to the Ravens and talked to them and they haven't said no. It's the only thing that makes sense because I don't know otherwise. Like, <laughs> it's just like, I can't imagine that he's not going to offer more right now than Tay Crowder or Austin Cleetro just on his instincts alone, on his linebacker instincts alone. I, I don't know, man. We'll have to see what happens. I got my eye on Jalen Smith, though, because I'll tell you what, I'd love to see him start playing this week. I, I, as like I said, we're going to have to deal with this crap against the Bears. They're not going to come to 11. They're not going to use that much 11 personnel on the Giants. Why would they? There's no reason to. And they lost arguably their second best receiver, who was Byron Pringle. Like that, that's the situation. <laughs> Velas Jones, the rookie they drafted, the, the 26-year-old rookie the or 25-year-old rookie. in the NFL that might be worse <laughs> than the Giants. It is definitely worse than the Giants. But I will say EQ St. Brown is is finally getting out there playing some snaps and he looks solid. He was always a, a nice St. Browns. Beat. Oh, dude, never count on Amon Ra, man. I love Amon yeah. Ra St. Brown. One of my yeah, favorite a, players in the league. He's an absolute underrated beast. Cooper Cup Light. Um, all right. Let's dive into exactly a little bit more on the personnel that the Giants used. Or we already went over the personnel the Giants used. Let's dive into the coverages the Giants played to counter the Cowboys in this game. Yeah, they just basically ran cover three and cover one. They ran that almost 63% of the time collectively. According to PFF, cover three, 31.3% of the time. Cover one, 31.3% of the time. Now, they also like to use quarters, and that's just some sort of variation of cover four. It could be quarters. It could be palms. It could be any of those really complex type of pattern match type of quarter scheme. Cover zero, according to them, was 8.2% of the time. I don't feel like that was just cover zero in the sense of yeah. we are going to blitz and and just trust everybody. It wasn't, it wasn't that aggressive. At least that's not what the film said. I think they might have done that maybe a few times, but it definitely wasn't as, as much as 8.2% would allude to. And they cover six, 4.9% of the time. And then we saw for the first time, I think this season, some two-man, which is too high, man coverage underneath so two man under and then cover two which is something we haven't really seen all that often either and that was both of those coverages were 1.6 percent of the time yeah i think those cover zero snap i i agree with you i didn't see that either on the tape i will say this though it was interesting to see the depth at which even the, like cover three the depth at which these players were playing at like specifically in the cover one looks they they, the Giants had a really interesting game plan. There were even some third down looks where they just had one single high safety, Xavier McKinney. Um, I feel like this is something that Wink Marndale wants to do, but I feel like it might have been specific to this game plan. What did you think of just the overall game plan in general for how to play this Dallas Cowboys team from the personnel that they put out there? 
they ruled out a lot of, like we said, 12, 13 personnel. So one way to combat that, the Giants didn't want to really be in in straight base personnel with three linebackers. They they would come in three, four type of personnel. And once they were kind of getting gashed by the run, I felt like they would put Jihad Ward and O'Shane Zimenez out there instead of Kayvon Thibodeau and, and Aziz Ojolari. But they didn't want more than two linebackers, inside linebackers on the field. But that's not uncommon because the base here, if there is a base, would be a three, four type of defense. But what he did consistently because of the way they were using 13, 12 personnel, multiple tight end packages, they would bring that safety, that strong side safety right up as that third linebacker. And that was sometimes Xavier McKinney. That was sometimes Julian Love. And that would leave one safety deep, middle of the field closed. They predominantly ran middle of the field closed looks, whether it be man coverage, cover one or cover three, cover three match, something like that. So that's one reason why I think there weren't a lot of safeties deep. And what are you trying to do? Trying to stop the run, especially with that personnel usage, trying to stop the run. Best way to stop the run is to not have too high safeties. You put that safety in the box. It's more congested there. And now you could possibly stop at the line of scrimmage, get a tackle for a loss or something like that. Yeah, some might argue the best way to stop the run is have competency at the linebacker position, but but what do I know? But I will say this, something interesting that I want to bring up with you, Nick. Michael Lopez uncovered some really interesting stats I wanted to bring up to you. And before we dive into the game, I just want to get your thoughts on this as it pertains to the NFL. I love talking NFL stuff too with you. So he said more defenses are running safer schemes, I think cover two quarters. And though it's led to improvements in the run game, pass Past numbers are past play numbers aren't pretty. And we've noticed scoring, by the way, Nick, is way down. It's down almost four points a game this year from last year across the NFL. So he says teams are passing with relatively similar frequency, but via PFF, the catchable ball rate, which was 63.8% so far in 2022, is a five year low. He says the rate of drop passes is in line with similar play, uh, seasons. The sack rate, time to throw, and time to pressure are similar. Teams are combining, though, for 462 yards passing, the second lowest total since 2012, which is wild to me because the game was so different when I think back of how football was played in 2012. He says from a strategic standpoint, Nick, NFL teams are employing coverages with very different frequencies so far in 2022, including putting less emphasis on man schemes. Rates of cover one man have dropped to 19.8%. From a four-year average of 26.5%, I know this doesn't apply to the Giants and Wink Martindale, but he says schemes with multiple deep safeties have jumped, including cover two zone, which is up 13.8% from from the four-year average in quarters, which is up 14.7% from 11.4%. Defenses are also running cover zero with no safeties at a slightly less higher higher frequency versus four-year at 3.7% versus 2.7% from the four-year average, but they're doing it more effectively. So I thought that was interesting. And he also says, despite all this, defenses have blitzed on 38.5% of their plays in 2022, which is the biggest jump of any of these stats from 27.4% of the four seasons. Just curious if there's any of your thoughts on any of this or how this impacts what the Giants are doing on either side of the ball. There's a lot to take away from that. So Wink Martindale is the outlier because he still runs man coverage very highly, which there are still a few defensive coordinators who do that. Now, in terms of the passing efficiency, typically it takes a little bit longer, generally speaking, for the offenses to get going. Defense is typically early in the season. A lot of people say the defense had the upper hand until the offense can really get settled in, especially with new offenses. All that that you said should more be attributed to the fact that what is the, the common defense right now? Like defenses are cyclical. Remember back in the early 2010s, it was cover three, the Legion of Boom. And they try every defense tried to replicate that. Well, now it's the Vic Fangio 
cover four type of two read safety type of looks like palms and things that we were mentioning. So a lot of quarters, it's what Brandon Staley has been doing. Robert Sala has been doing. There's a lot of defenses. The Browns do it a lot. So a lot of teams are doing that. And what that does is it allows you to rush the football a little bit more efficiently, but it removes explosive plays. Let's go back to last season, Patrick Mahomes. Everybody's like, Patrick Mahomes is the man. And then he had a couple down games. Everyone's like, oh, Patrick Mahomes sucks. Look at this guy. He's not what he's cracked up to be. And it was because everybody was playing too high and sometimes four high. And they were removing his ability to to create explosive plays with Tyreek Hill. So how did Andy Reid adjust? He's like, all right, we'll just get the ball into Tyreek Hill's hands within five yards of the line of scrimmage and allow him to work. So it was a lot of dink and dunk type passes. And that's why we see players like Daryl Williams come away with like six and seven catches back when he was the running back when Clyde was injured because you just take what the defense is giving you. And that's why this, it's like a full chess match between the defense and the offense. But right now it's just stop the explosive plays because in the NFL, you have Patrick Mahomes, you have Justin Herbert, you have all of these Lamar Jackson right now, Kyler Murray, you have all these guys with huge arms, Josh Allen and teams and defenses are just trying to stop that. They'll run the football on us, get us in third down and manageable, and we'll try to blitz you then. And I'm wondering if those blitz percentages too, I'm wondering if that is accounted as five plus men coming, or if it is simulated pressure, like, oh, the defensive back came, it's a blitz, but the end man on the line of scrimmage to the weak side dropped off into coverage underneath the number two receiver on that side. So is it a blitz or is it just still four coming? I'm wondering how that's accounted. Yeah, just really interesting numbers to see how the Giants are running a very contrarian defense right now versus what we've seen in the NFL. And we'll see how it goes, right? Like, you know, uh, they don't have personnel, so I'm not going to fully blame them. But I feel like there's been some really good signs through the first three weeks, not as much in this game of what Wink Martindale is capable of doing. And there were some good calls in this game, too, which we're going to get to. So let's dive right into it. First drive of the game for the Dallas Cowboys. Five plays and a punt. What stood out to you on this drive? And then I'll dive into some of my takeaways. First off, it was press coverage on that first play, right? That first in 10. And still, C.D. Lamb was able to win against Dory Jackson on this little quick hitch. So it wasn't even like that 15-yard pass to start the game. It was off play action. Double Y set and something that Dallas ran so much, they would align the tight ends overload to one side, and then they would run the football off it. They would run weak side, and Giants had to allocate so many of their personnel to those two tight ends, which would open up some weak side opportunities. But the fact that they were able to to win, even though Adore Jackson was impressed and get 15 yards wasn't great. But then on the next play, the, the 14-yard play, this was like a small telltale sign of what was going to happen throughout the game because the Giants who the the Dallas Cowboys had the one tight end to the boundary side, but they had the two wide receivers who were split off the tackle very, very tight. Both of them have great angles to the field to just block down on Kayvon Thibodeau and block down on Darnay Holmes. And they did that and they ran a little jet sweep to Tony Pollard that ended up going for 14 yards. Cowboys went back to this play, or at least a variation of this play and this type of formation, at least four or five times in this game. And this was one of their one one of the more successful ones, but they had a couple that were pretty annoying to deal with as well. Yeah, and I mean, it's just a couple things that stood out to me on this play. For example, is like I know it's a tough assignment, but Crowder just he's undercut on this. He just looks lost on a lot of these plays from a quick diagnosing standpoint, just from his pure reaction time. And then what do we really want to see Kayvon Thibodeau getting blocked down by a receiver? Like it's good scheme. Great job. We saw this more than one time in this game, but also like I've seen some defensive ends at the NFL level, like just beat this type of shit up. Like just, you know, like don't let it happen. 
Um, and I don't know if I want to blame Kayvon Thibodeau for that because it is great scheme and a good job by the receiver on plays of referencing. There was another one like this later, but just stands out to me like that. The Giants are just kind of unable to make the plays that they need to make. And on this play too, you're right. Tay Crowder here. This is this is not a great play by Tay Crowder, who kind of gets caught up seeing if there's going to be a cutback, but it seems like he's a step behind, and then he tries to undercut it instead of scraping over the top and totally gets washed out of the play. The Giants are actually in too high on this play after surrendering that 15-yard catch to C.D. Lamb, so it was a perfect time to run the football. Poor Dory Jackson gets teamed up with the play side tackle. Tyler Smith kicks into space and it's just like, oh crap. Julian Love makes a nice tackle near the sideline, but it's a 14 yard gain. And then 29 yards in two plays to start the game is not a great look for your defense. To his credit, Tay Crowder did have a nice play, I thought, on the first and 10 after that. Um, so I thought he did a good job there. I want to talk about the second and 18 play because this was the uh, drive defining play for me. The reason why the Giants were able to get the Cowboys off the field, despite like what you said, 29 yards in the first two plays. Oh, we're looking at a potential scoring drive. Giants turn this into zero points. And I want to give credit to Kayvon Thibodeau here because, you know, it doesn't show up in the box score stat, maybe, or at least people aren't paying attention to this type of stat. But he does a great job here, almost tipping the ball and with and forcing the ball to go. He changes. This is all him in my mind because he changes the trajectory of this pass and forces Cooper Rush to change his arm slot. And that's the reason that the pass is inaccurate. The ball placement is off and it allows the pass to be incomplete. Now they're in a third and 18 and the drive's over in third and 18 for the most part, most most of the time. So I wanted to give him credit. I thought this was a drive defining play by Thibodeau. Yeah, it was a great play. And he also tipped the pass a little bit later on. But look at the concept that Dallas runs to the boundary. They have a tight end who is in the H-back position and then a tight stack on the numbers. Remember, to the boundary, short side of the field. They run a sale concept. What was the first play after the Saquon Barkley touchdown? It was a sale concept. Now look at where CD Lamb, look how wide open CD Lamb is on this route. So a sale concept is you take one of the players, typically the number three, and you just run them right to the flat. That was who Cooper Rush targeted on this second and 18. You take the number two receiver who is on the line of scrimmage and you run him outside and then just basically go vertical, clear out the deep third. And what this did was it isolated CD Lamb against basically Tay Crowder because Xavier McKinney reacted to the flat where I think it's Jake Ferguson was. Now, the question is, would Xavier McKinney have reacted to Jake Ferguson if the football wasn't coming out? I'm not 100% certain, but you could see how open C.D. Lamb is on this play. I just think it's interesting that the Giants ended up, or the Cowboys ended up going back to it in a high leverage spot. And we'll talk about that play later, but that release by C.D. Lamb was one of the craziest releases I've seen this season. It was sick. I know exactly the play you're talking about, and it was filthy, filthy really. He's... You could have bought low on him before this week in fantasy football, and God bless you if you did. You did a great job there. Um, I thought one thing that was interesting about this drive that you pointed out in your notes, Nick, was just we saw a lot of cover three, cover one, and two-man, which was, like you noted, might have been for the first time this season, the two-man. So just a lot of interesting stuff there conceptually from the Giants to try to play this early on. Worked to start. Like, the Giants got off the field pretty early. We move into the next drive, though, and things didn't go as well for the Giants. It was a 10-play, 55-yard drive, though... Credit where credit's due. When things got tough on that drive, the Giants had a really nice stop in the red zone to hold them to three. So where do you want to start on this 10-play, 55-yard drive? These were actually the first points of the game. The Cowboys went up 3 nothing. 
Yeah, we could probably start with the first play I, I felt like was pretty interesting just by the formation that Wink Martindale employed against double Y says you have two tight ends to one side. It was the boundary side and Wink Martindale just stayed in a tight front with all three of his big guys inside of the tackle, both linebackers right into the gap, basically over the bubble of where the guards are essentially. And then you have both edge rushers outside. So O'Shane Zimenez is outside of that second tight end. Jihad Ward is outside of Tyron Smith. So if you look, it's an interesting looking formation. And this is only a six yard rush by Ezekiel Elliott, but you can see how those tight ends are able to block down on Nick Williams and just wash the line of scrimmage, leaving a huge gap between Nick Williams and O'Shane Zimenez for Fabian Moreau and Micah McFadden to kind of put himself in there. Micah McFadden's a little late here to see what's going on. And I felt like this was a good play call by Dallas because they brought a backside receiver, Noah Brown, to lead block for Ezekiel Elliott on this counter type of play. McFadden steps towards what he thinks is the play side, but realizes the actual play design and does a good job kind of coming back and taking the linebacker away, but there's no other linebacker to help him because this was something I felt like Wink Martindale did often in the beginning of this game and had to kind of slow down a little bit later. He liked to blitz on these running downs and try to send Tay Crowder up into the A-gap, but you couldn't really do that because the Cowboys were having so much success running outside. So basically at this snap, Tay Crowder's removed from the play and Micah McFadden's in a position where he has to scrape over the top of that blitz. He puts himself in a pretty good position. Nice play by McFadden. And finally, Nick Williams sheds to make the tackle. This could have been a much bigger run for Ezekiel Elliott if Nick Williams didn't shed this play or if Julian Love didn't get there because after the line oh, of yeah. scrimmage, it's essentially Ezekiel Elliott versus Xavier McKinney in space. Yep. I will say this about that. As far as Nick Williams shedding on this play, Nick, I felt like these, I, I wrote this down for these first two plays here. From my just from my memory and just from watching the film in my own eyes, I felt like, yeah, he did an okay job. I mean, he saved the play, like you said, by, you know, breaking from that and scraping off, but and shedding that blocker. But this is where I felt these first two plays, I felt like the impact of Leonard Williams in the run game was most pronounced, the absence of him. Because I've just watched him and it might be even Lawrence lined up if he's on the field, Leonard Williams, regardless of how they want to play this. But I've seen him kind of shed that even faster, like real fast, and then turn that yeah. into like zero or minus one. And I felt the same thing with the play after that. I feel like Williams, the second and four, Williams also, or if it's Williams, Lawrence, whoever it is, just having them both on the field, they do a much better job of just shedding those blocks even faster and then turning it into zero or one. I just felt like the formation, I wanted to highlight the play because the formation is a little peculiar. They're really just trying to stop these inside runs. And I, at this point, they didn't realize that Dallas was really going to attempt to attack laterally. But man, this could have been a much bigger run than just mm. six yards. And credit to Mike McFadden for at yeah. least, even though he was a little late to it, at least putting himself into a position to, to force Ezekiel Elliott to cut back inside. Yep. Agreed. Okay. What else did you want to pinpoint on this drive? I also feel like it's interesting on the deep pass to Noah Brown that went for 19 yards. The edge rushers on this play were Nick Williams and and Jihad Ward. The Giants were adjusting to the the two tight end set by bringing Jihad Ward and putting him right in between both those tight ends and having three linebackers behind the four guys on the line of scrimmage, kind of like a 4-3 type of look, even though the personnel wouldn't suggest that. And one of those linebackers who was in space was O'Shane Zimenez. So you could tell that the, the coaching staff of the New York Giants views Zimenez a lot higher than what we expected him to be viewed because they're allowing him to play in space as an edge. He's setting the edge. I felt like he had another pretty damn good game here. Yeah, I think it's a great astute point by you. O'Shane Zimenez had another good game specifically in the run game. 
And that's not something we're an area we expected him to be a helpful contributor this year, really, to be completely honest, at least from the start of where we were at. And he's done a great job there. He's probably earned himself some snaps. A lot of people watching the game are like, why are they mixing and matching with Dezizo Jolari and Kayvon Thibodeau? Part of that could be they were on a pitch count for their first game back. Part of that is they want to get O'Shane Zimnens on the field. He's earned the right to be on the field. I want to talk about this goal-to-go stop by the Giants here because uh, this is a big stuff. Like the first goal in the six, when you can get teams to kick a field goal, it can help you win games. It didn't In this case, the Giants lost the game, but I thought the first play wasn't great for the Giants. But it worked. I thought Dave Crowder was, again, a bit hesitant, I wrote down. And once he committed, he kind of missed the tackle on Ezekiel Elliott. Luckily, there were players there to help out. But I did love the second and five play here by the Giants, despite the fact that, as you mentioned in your notes, Nick, Zach Martin absolutely destroyed uh, Ellis on this play. But I just love the gap assignment execution here by the Giants. I thought it was such a sound run defensive play on that second and five. That was kind of what I took away from those first two plays. Yeah, honestly, man, it's just Dexter Lawrence. He's so difficult to deal with. And, and this is an excellent example. Like you're five yards away from scoring a touchdown on this second and five, and you have a clean double team right on the one shade of Dexter Lawrence, and then just a linebacker and two defensive backs who are in the area. Other than that, Justin Ellis is eliminated from the play by Zach Martin. And there's no pressure coming from the backside. Xavier McKinney, to his credit, does a really good job stepping into that open B gap to force Ezekiel Elliott to go to the outside. But Dexter Lawrence is shaded towards Xavier McKinney here. Now, this isn't a slight on Xavier McKinney. He did nothing wrong. He executed his role perfectly. But what I love about Dexter Lawrence is he reads Ezekiel Elliott so well and then just bench presses Tyler Biotish to at least get back into the hole of where Ezekiel Elliott committed to after he realized he couldn't run where Xavier McKinney was. Luckily for the Giants, too, Julian Love fills aggressively, and Julian Love and Dexter Lawrence kind of make the tackle on Ezekiel Elliott, and everyone rallies to to finish the play. But, man, Dexter Lawrence this game, dude, without Leonard Williams, you're right that that definitely sucks and it hurts, but th- this guy is just a stud. He's just he's just very, very difficult to block up front, and I'm not surprised teams struggle to run the football anywhere near the A-gap when he's out there. Yeah, I agree, and you know he, ma- he makes me rethink my whole process when it comes to roster building at the defensive tackle, interior defensive line position to an extent. I don't know where I'm at with that just because of the depth at that position across the NFL and the guys you can find even just off the waiver wire from a year-to-year basis, and yeah. ultimately, this is a passing league. So those are a lot of good topics that we can get to in another podcast. But I do thought it was a good, I did think, I mean, look, because the, the thing is this, like, I don't want to go too far into this now. It's better for an offseason type of talk, Nick. But like, all those things are true. It's a passing league. You need guys to impact the passing him on a play-to-play basis. You can find this position deep in the draft. You can find this position on the waiver wire. Do you really want to allocate cap space to it? Even Joe Shane has made mention in the past of like, I really value certain positions to spend cap on. But then you look at it from just like the pure raw standpoint. You're like, well, dude, if you don't have Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence out there, this defense freaking sucks. Like you just still need to win the trenches and you still need beasts out there. So I don't know, man, it's tough. That's like a whole nother topic. But third and the final play, the third down play in the, in the goal to go situation, the Giants stop. Thought this was a really great passage by Aziz Ojalari, who didn't get a lot of credit for his performance in this game, but really good job there. And obviously Jihad Ward gets his hand on the ball and, and forces incompletion. Yeah, this is where Aziz Ojolari draws the penalty on Tyler Smith. Just hits. This was the movie used at Georgia, man. Flash that long arm, make contact, and then use your outside arm to break the contact of the offensive tackle. Dip your inside shoulder, get your hips oriented into the pocket, and then just bend through contact. This would have been a sack if Tyler Smith, more than likely, would have been a sack if Tyler Smith 
doesn't hold him on this play because Tony yes. Pollard isn't even looking at Cooper Rush at, at the moment where where he's turning the corner. Okay, so we move on to the next drive. It's 3-0 Dallas, and the Cowboys put another field goal on the board here. This one is a five-play, 53-yard drive that the Giants ultimately can hold for a field goal. What stands out to you here, and where would you like to start this drive? Would you want to start with breaking down maybe what went wrong on this 46-yard run to kick off the drive by Pollard? Of course. Yeah, this is the first and 10 run, just... Early second quarter to the weak side, which is also the field side. And the Giants, if you look at this from the end zone copy, it's not a it's kind of a double Y set, but it's not two tight ends. Instead, to the boundary, so not where the run goes, Dallas has a tight end and Noah Brown aligned right off the ass of the tackle. And the Giants have five defenders pressed up to that side because we saw in the first two drives. Kellen Moore call a lot of lateral runs towards the strength. So instead here, they load up that side. Kellen Moore adjusts and he runs weak side where you have a one technique, Austin Calitro and Jihad Ward. And what's going to happen when you run weak side, if the center can block the one technique, which he does, Jason Peters, and I believe this was his first play of the game, has a clean climb up to Austin Calitro to the boundary. And that's exactly what happens. They run weak side. And Calitro, and we brought this up a little bit before, he has a decision to make here. Does he does he try to undercut Peters, which he does, use his explosiveness to get into the backfield and tackle Tony Pollard for maybe a loss? Or does he try to set outside and allow Dexter Lawrence, who seems like at this time, and this is a very quick decision he has to make, is winning towards that that a gap and and you don't really need to shoot this, this gap like Austin Calitro does because Dexter Lawrence is already in that gap. He already has positive position, but Calitro gets a little greedy, tries to shoot. And Jason Peters, who looks like he's over pursuing just easily kind of flips his hips and pins Austin Calitro right into Dexter Lawrence edge is set by Jihad Ward, but there's no one here to, to bail Austin Calitro out for his mistake because the safeties are aligned deep here. And Tony Pollard runs for 46 yards. This is a mistake by Austin Calitro. And like we said at the top of the show, Dan, when one linebacker makes a mistake, the other linebacker isn't good enough to account for said mistake. And that's a recipe for disaster. And let's be honest, Nick, this is a little bit of luck for the Giants because this should have been a penalty on Holmes. Let's be like, is am I wrong? This this was a bit lucky. Yeah, yeah. Holmes essentially tackles Noah Brown. This definitely should have been flagged. I like the fact that the Giants were able to stop Pollard for a three-yard gain, and and Cordell Flott made a nice tackle on Jalen Tolbert on the in route to force this third and three. But this probably should have ended up being like an Ezekiel Elliott touchdown run or something along those lines because Darnay Holmes legit tackles Noah Brown out of his break. Yeah, it was weird. I, I couldn't believe they didn't call it, but then they kind of gave it right back to the to the Cowboys because they called a holding on the very next offensive play for the Giants for the next play of the game. And so, like, I felt like a give back call. I, I'm a big believer in give back calls. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think refs do give back calls? I think they do. Yeah, I think I think yeah. if it's close enough, I think if, if the call is close enough, they'll they'll shade be like, yeah, man, I, I botched the pooch over there a little bit. So let's let's give them this one. I don't think they just make calls up, but every play you could call a foul. You can call a penalty on every single play. I'm wondering if maybe they didn't throw that now because either way it would have been defensive holding. Okay. There was no reason to not throw this flag. Yes, I think that's what it is. Most of these plays you can call a penalty, especially the offensive holding variety. So it's like if you want to do a give back call, you have an opportunity. So my whole thing is why wouldn't they? They have that they can easily just chalk it up to oh there's a hold. Yeah, it's a hold on every play. How could this not be a hold? So it is what it is. 
Giants go down six, nothing there. They kick a field goal. Cowboys then go nine plays, 37 yards, and they punt the ball. So this was their fourth possession of the game. What stood out to you on this possession? The simulated pressure ran by Wink Martindale. Tay Crowder just drops to the line of scrimmage. And then you have Aziz Ojolari drop off to the boundary side. So now you have four guys rushing from the center to the tackle. There's no tight ends. It's five-man protection. No tight ends in for protection, I should say. So what this does is create a free rusher. Kayvon Thibodeau is the free rusher. But Cooper Rush, man, he just... He diagnoses this so quickly, and Jake Ferguson, your boyfriend, to his credit, just quickly turns, realizes that he's hot, just turns right back around to Cooper Rush, and it's very, very in sync, very, very smooth for the Dallas Cowboys. And the throw is high, it's off target, but Ferguson makes a really good grab here, and it ends up going for eight yards. But I do like the fact that they were dialing up a little bit of sim pressures to try to get Kayvon Thibodeau a free sack. It's just processed so damn well by Rush. Yeah, it really is. And the Cowboys are able to turn a situation that should have been a punt into a first down with a third and 12, 27 yard run. What makes sickening. this pop? It is sickening to everyone. When you're watching these games as a fan or an analyst and you give up a third and 12 first down run, it's disgusting. But what made this possible? Besides just yeah, so, amazing scheme. <laughs> yeah, it's the scheme. It's what we talked about before on the second yeah. play of the game. You have the tight end, you have lamb, you have them blocked down the end man on the line of scrimmage, block down the nickel defender. And then you pull the play side tackle and, and you ha- allow your backside defenders or backside blockers to climb up to the second level. And that's exactly what happened. Zach Martin climbs to the second level and takes out Austin Calitro. And everybody basically gets sealed off from this play. Dane Belton is squared up, unfortunately, with Smith. And it ends up going for a 27-yard gain to the field, which is Ezekiel Elliott's longest run since 20-freaking-20, 20 Dan. And this is just great scheme. And also the Giants crowding the line of scrimmage. We've applauded Wink Martindale for crowding the line of scrimmage to manipulate protection packages. But this is a way to not have the protection package manipulated. Because instead of that happening, you run the football. And now you have all these guys so close to the line of scrimmage. All you need to do is block down. And those guys now do not have an angle to cut you off. And that's exactly what ends up happening here. So again, Kellen Moore studied the film. He saw a tendency and he was able to exploit it. And one thing I loved about Kellen Moore, and this is something we saw with Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka in the first game against Tennessee when he tried the trick play with De- with Kadarius Tony. The minute Moore hits this 27-yarder, I see so many NFL teams over the years. Uh-oh, well, look, our play clock is running down. We just had a 27-yard play. We got to get these offensive linemen to the line, up the field into the line of scrimmage. Yeah, we're running out of time. Let's just run up the middle. I see so many dumbass run up the middles. Instead, what he does is he immediately takes a he immediately goes to no huddle and takes a shot here, a shot play to CeeDee Lamb. Giants got insanely lucky on this play. It was a perfect shot. Lamb was wide open and he just dropped the ball. It's the worst pass of the game, I thought, from um from Cooper Rush, because it's just Watching that live, I'll never forget that ball just floated in the air. But despite the floatiness of it, it landed right in the hands and there was no coverage in sight, really. Like we're breaking to the ball. There's a guy there, but no one to contest the catch. And so I just thought I wanted to point out, I love this call by Kellen Moore after the run. He doesn't go to the stupid run up the middle. He takes a shot down the field. Yeah, and it's very aggressive, and I love every second of it. I didn't think the throw was as bad as you did. It hit him right in stride. Look that bad. Yeah, but I'm sure in person it's a little bit different. And also, it's just genius right here because you want to ensure that Fabian Moreau, when you're running these cover three type concepts, cannot sink underneath this ball and intercept it. And how do you do that? You just run a curl directly at him. Jalen Tolbert runs a curl about 10 yards directly at Fabian Moreau, and that holds Fabian Moreau in place, allowing this 
deep horizontal crossing route to materialize. And it's just Dane Belton, the deep middle of the field safety against CeeDee Lamb, who also runs this route and stems initially to the outside to get Belton's hips oriented in that direction before kind of going back inside, kind of like a cop route. You know, we talked about the post corner, the Poco route yesterday. This is more of a cop route, corner post route. You sell the corner, then you explode back inside of the post and you get that middle of the field safety's hips turned. He has to do a speed turn real quick. And CeeDee Lamb ran it perfectly. He just doesn't catch this ball, which is like so crazy because it's just right there for him. It's just, it doesn't even look like, it looks like it like hits his chest and then he puts his yeah. arms up. Like it was a really weird sight, but you know, he ended up getting one back, but this would have been a huge play for them. I think part of it was honestly this, that the ball was in the air for so long. I know it doesn't look that way as much on film, but if you were there, you, you, you would know. And I got to say, just like, it's so funny you mentioned it. If I ran an offense, Nick, I would be taking so many post corners and corner post route. There'd be such a, I'd be just challenging safeties all the time. It'd be my offense just because I just feel like you put these guys in a lot of difficult positions. Like this is a tough spot for Dane Belton here to make a play on this football and to be in the right position. Otherwise, on this drive, there were a couple interesting things I, I thought you noted um, in, in your notes and your breakdown and things I saw. Uh, specifically, I thought Xavier McKinney, though it doesn't go down as a book in the books, is some kind of great play because the Cowboys get a first down. On that third and one, man, he takes on, he gets hit with a double team at one point. He takes on both blockers. He has good ba contact balance and then stays to make the play and get a stop. It's still a three yard gain, first down. But eventually, I want to get to this third and 10 play because I really like this design by Wink Martin. I also but, just want to say, I, yeah, I like how just because the Giants have already lost two times, I think, to this type of formation here with the blocking down, they already lost twice to this, right? So here, the Giants, you can see right off the bat, they know what's coming. It's to the field side. They have three blockers on that side, two of them being wide receivers. You can see Jahad Ward and Xavier McKinney both flow outside, and they actually stretch this run. You see Adore Jackson come down aggressively to meet the deploying blocker, who is not the place I tackle here. It's the H-back. It's a little adjustment that Kellen Moore made. You could just see how the Giants played it so much better than they played previous runs, but still, all you needed was one yard, and Tony Pollard picks that up. And a good read on second and 10, by the way, by Mike McFadden on the screen. I just wanted oh, yeah. to note that, to get them into third and 10. That always deserves praise because, you know, without him making that read, the Cowboys might pick up that play, and then we don't have the third and 10. But how about the third and 10 here? Because I just love this look with the safety rotation post-snap, the confuse a quarterback, so much pressure, and they have, you know, guys just jump. They, I love how Bink Barnell's defense always has guys trying to tip balls. And even if this ball gets out there with these safeties rotating, I don't think it's going to be short underneath. They rally to it. They tackle. And there's no real – I don't really see a solution for the Cowboys on this play, even if they don't tip the pass the Giants on this one. So I love the design here by Wink Martindale. It's the same type of design that we brought up earlier. It's a similar design to what they ran on the fourth and four, where it did not fool Cooper Rush. Again, like they, they showed this and Cooper Rush knew where to go with the football. It's just Kayvon Thibodeau tips the ball here. I don't think he gets right. the 10 yards. I think they rally and tackle. But the other play, and this is maybe a conversation that we can have, was a fourth and four. Right. I think it might be a little questionable to run the same type yes. of concept with Dane Belton against a wide receiver at a depth of like 20 yards to, to come down and cover when yes. Cooper Rush already saw it and already proved that he knew what you were doing. It's just you got, I don't want to say lucky, but Kayvon Thibodeau made a play. You can't rely on that consistently happening. So I think that's one maybe gripe that you can have with Wink Martindale. And this is me sitting at a freaking computer chair, but it's just an observation of you're probably not going to fool Cooper Rush with this. And he didn't. And they ended up getting the first down with, with Dane Belton just being a tick behind. And that's a tough play for Dane Belton to do. So don't like knock the kid. It's not his fault. It's just you have to rely on the quarterback not picking it up and throwing hot. But Cooper Rush is two for two in this game doing so.
And Nick's referring to the fourth and four later in the game. That is ultimately the game-defining play. And I'm with Nick on this one. I don't love the call on fourth and four or third and four to go. This is a good call for third and long or fourth and long. That's the type of the, like if you just watch that play over, the blitz is never getting there in time. It's a quick game, and it just if they don't blitz, I, I I'll stand by this dude. If they don't blitz love on that play. The Giants are stopping that play. There is no solution for Rush other than the where he went with the ball, which is reading hot. And like you said, Belton has to come down and make a play. He still almost stops him. Like, we'll go over that a bit later. I still think he was short. I've rewatched that play like 14 times. I still think he was short. But Dable obviously didn't agree. People upstairs didn't agree. That game, that play defined the drive. But anyway, Giants get off the field here by allowing zero points, which is pretty unexpected in my opinion, at least. The next drive is just that two-play drive before the missed field goal, so we can move on to the second half here. It's now 6-6 in this game when the Cowboys first get the ball, and the Giants force a three and out here, so obviously things went well here. So let's dive into this three and out. It's called the Xavier McKinney drive because (laughs) Xavier McKinney made a huge play on first down, and then the big play against C.D. Lamb when it was him just basically in man coverage on C.D. Lamb down the field. Throw was not great from Cooper Rush, but McKinney is right in his hip pocket the entire time. And also, just another credit to O'Shane Zimenez, who did such a good job taking on Terrence Steele and just forcing Ezekiel Elliott, along with, I think it's Dexter Lawrence or maybe Nick Williams and Xavier McKinney, to just force Ezekiel Elliott towards the sideline. You want to know what was weird, dude? And this is just a side note. I think there were four New York Giant defenders who have an X in their name. It's just not something that you see that often. Right? Mondu, yeah. O'Shane yeah. Zimenez, Kayvon Thibodeau, Xavier McKinney. That's a yeah. lot of X's going on. Des Bryant's probably smiling somewhere. But yeah, no, I thought this was a great play by Xavier McKinney, who was aligned basically in the box right off the ass of Nick Williams. And you could see how he reads. If you watch the engagement of Nick Williams and the and the down blocking tight end, you can see Xavier McKinney kind of stay in the B gap, stay in the B gap until he sees Zeke go. And then he just shoots underneath the blocks and beats, I believe it's the, the backside guard. I'm not sure exactly who that is to make this tackle. That was a really nice play by Xavier McKinney on first and 10. Yeah, great drive by McKinney. The third and 12 play, man, if that's a better ball, I think we get burned on that one this was a play i look at this play dude i don't want i'm not i'm just not i'm just gonna say it plainly i'm not a foster moreau dude i think this guy sucks (laughs) i don't want him out there a fabian i just called him foster the tight end on the uh on the on the raiders at lsu i'm not a fabian moreau guy i don't want him on the field i thought he was terrible on this play and really i just haven't seen much from him from an athleticism standpoint i think he's gonna get absolutely torched at times if he's out there so we'll see what happens. Aaron Robinson's closer than I thought he was going to be. The original Nick, Dr. Nick Filato evaluation was this thing's going to take at least four to six weeks. And I know I'm joking. I know you didn't actually <laughs> provide any medical evaluation. You're like, I couldn't lift for four weeks. But I didn't listen to the doctors because I because I don't give uh, I just not. I just ate my 14 carbs that day and I lifted weights day two of my after my surgery. That was Nick. But hopefully Aaron Robinson, it's a quicker recovery even than that. We'll find out soon, um, obviously, because I feel like even once he recovers, he has to get himself back in game shape. So I'm not like totally confident he'll be back, but sooner the better, because I thought Moreau had bad coverage on this route. It's not that he had back, like he's not in a horrible position or anything. He just doesn't have the speed or athleticism, in my opinion, to be out there. It's also the route stem by Jalen Tolbert's yeah. really good. So just the pain, it's third and 12. I would say Moreau is about what, 10 yards off yeah, of Jalen Tolbert? Yeah, slight inside leverage, so influencing outside. But Jalen Tolbert's stem is directly at Fabian Moreau, 
and then it angles inside a little bit. So that opens Moreau's hips. And then I felt like Tolbert actually showed more speed than I expected to kind of go back outside. But Moreau gets himself in a solid position, a perfect pass. And this was near a perfect pass. It was just off of Tolbert's hands. A perfect pass would have gotten, would have been completed here. But I think Moreau does a solid job in coverage here. You don't want to lose to a guy like Jalen Tolbert, who's not the best athlete, but he's he gets himself right back in the hip pocket. But again, man, it's all about the angle of the stem, how you set cornerbacks up, attacking leverage, things like that, that can also assist the wide receiver in getting better positioning. And, and when you're operating within all this space, because they're aligned basically on the numbers once Tolbert eats into that leverage, that off leverage that Moreau has, it's all about just kind of keeping up with him in space from the numbers all the way to the sideline. That's a lot of space to cover. And I felt like Moreau did a solid job, at least harassing Tolbert a little bit. It would have been a tough catch for the kid. Yeah, but if this is a better ball, I think he catches this, though. That's that's kind of my take on this. Yeah, it's I don't know. I don't think it's as bad a coverage as, as yeah. I don't think it's as bad. It's not horrific coverage. It's just like I almost look at it the other way. When you have that much space, when you're lining up 10 to 12 yards off the ball, it's easier, in in my opinion, on, on a deep route when you're when you're trying to defend a deep route. But I understand what you're saying. There's so much space for him to work with. He has to respect like an in-breaker and out-breaker there. So at, at the depth of like the stick. So it is a tough, it's a tough assignment for sure for Moreau. Yeah, so this is a nine-play touchdown drive from the Cowboys. Just absolutely ripped the Giants apart at a key moment because Barkley just comes off the touchdown run. I thought the momentum was coming to our side. It was not, Nick. <laughs> we learned the hard way. 75 play, seventy-five yards, nine plays, touchdown drive. Where maybe you want to start on this one? This is where they run that sale concept that I was mentioning before. C.D. Lamb, he's off the line of scrimmage here, but he sells the inside break against Dory Jackson so bad that Jackson freaking bites like a starving freaking kid who hasn't had his lunch. It was freaking crazy, man. It was such a nice inside move, and then C.D. Lamb wins on the corner route. That goes for 17 yards. That's the way the drive starts, man. That's an unfortunate way to start this drive. It's just a three-level type of concept with the vertical. Same play that we broke down before, and uh, C.D. Lamb just beats a Dory Jackson here. Yeah, I put this one up on Twitter if you want to just see how filthy the release was. I don't knock Jackson. He had a good game. It's tough. You're facing elite-level receivers, and the receivers always have the advantage over the corner. So, like, if something yeah. like this happens, I'm good with it. Jackson overall played well, I felt like, in this game. For sure. Another play that was key to this drive was the third and one, where it was the 29-yard pass to Pender shot. What happened on that one? Yeah, that comes after the third and one two-yard pickup by Ezekiel Elliott. That was played pretty well by the Giants, but they still surrender. The, the first down. But again, I, I love this call. This is a play action pass on a first and 10 play. Giants have been running cover three and cover three type of concepts all game. So what you do is you start with a tight end pender shot who's basically acting as a fullback. He motions down to the H back position towards where CD Lamb is because this is a 13 personnel package here. CD Lamb just runs inside, but like it's a vertical. So it's going to clear a Dory Jackson out and also occupy the safety. And now they take the H back who was just in motion to the same side of CD Lamb and they just run a flatten up of another vertical route. So you're going to stretch Aziz Ojolari, who is that flat defender, and then you're just going to run up the field around him. A Dory Jackson's cleared out the safety. There's no chance he can get there. No one is going to be on Pendershot in this situation. It's just an excellent play call against the defense that Wink Martindale was playing the entire damn game. And I like how Wink Martindale brought the blitz and Micah McFadden almost annihilates Cooper Rush here, but Rush is calm in the pocket and just releases a nice pass. The pender shot goes for 29 yards. Yeah, you watch this over as I'm trying to do right now, and I'm just like, I can't really knock. A, it's just hard for me to knock 
the personality. This is just an amazing call by Kellen Moore. I have to give credit where credit's due. Like we do that when Mike Kafka makes these types of free play calls and this is a free play. And I also think like just a small note here, breaking back to the ball at some point or breaking back to where the ball is going is Adore Jackson, but he slips. He had good recognition, I thought, to understand where he needed to break back to, but he slips. If he doesn't slip, it's probably not as big of a gain. But it's still a big gain, obviously. So just kudos to them for scheming this one up. How about the goal to go drive here um, and the, the Cowboys' ability to put this in the end zone? Anything that stood out to you? Well, they get to the goal to go on a first and 10 play where Cooper Rush just sees Noah Brown as 10 yards of separation because the Giants are playing so far off and he just obliges and throws the football to Brown. Brown picks up 12 yards on this play to set up a first and goal at the six yard line. It's like whatever the Giants were doing, Kellen Moore seemed to have an answer for it and the Giants couldn't even make him pay. Like this is one of Kayvon Thibodeau's pass rushing snaps. Literally Cooper Rush takes the ball and throws it right when the ball is in his hands. Like there's nothing the Giants up front can do, but the Giants were attempting to crowd the line of scrimmage. And what are you going to do when you have all those players in the box? You're just going to attack the off coverage. And this is something that we might see a lot because Wink Martindale likes to align the defensive backs when they're in the red zone. A lot of defensive coordinators do this in off coverage. You don't want to be impressed because if you lose impressed, then you're done and you're not going to your safety is not going to more than likely be able to get to the landmark to 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 help you in those types of situations. So you play off. But when you play off, you don't have a lot of players in the box because you're running out 12, 13 personnel. There's a lot of space for that wide receiver to operate. So all he has to do is make one man miss, and he does a pretty good job taking advantage of Cordell Flott here. Yeah, well said there, Nick. Um, I think, obviously, we can go... The Giants had 10 guys on the field, 10 players on the field know, for man. the touchdown run. That's <laughs> obviously not good. That's a fair, I will say this. We had a lot of that type of junk in the last couple of years. It was like the first time we've had one of those type of junk stuff in, in, the, in this regime. So I think that's okay for three games. Yeah, exactly. And then um, to start the next drive, they attempt to use the end around to Tony Pollard again to the field side with the same type of blocker, same looks. One, Wink one Martin quick did- thing, actually, I don't want to cut you off, Nick, but one quick thing I wanted to just run by you. I don't even need to run by you, but note is on the previous drive, the Cowboys actually had a really good call by Kellen Moore. We didn't go over just more to kind of toot his horn, but that second and five, second and goal from the five, that was a smart play. That PA rollout throw back to Brown. Like the Giants eventually were like tackling him at the one, but then it leads to that easy touchdown. So I just thought that was a creative call in the red zone there. Yeah. Again, they just had two tight ends to one side and then motion Noah Brown right off the back right. of it. Everyone blocks, fake the block. Everyone releases Noah Brown blocks and then releases similar to what Mike Kafka did with Daniel Bellinger. And if this was a better throw, it probably would have been a touchdown because Noah Brown had to go down and get it. Good point. Okay. Now you say the next drive starts with the Tony Pollard run. Yeah. The Tony Pollard run. They attempt to do the same exact look that they've shown and the giants wink Martindale, their defense to credit. They did not fall for it this time. Tony Pollard does the end around. They attempt to block down and you just see Jihad Ward stretch all the way to the sideline and only ends up going for four yards. So well, played adjustment by Wink Martindale and the Giants defense to stop getting gashed laterally. Well played adjustment. And then two plays later, though, we go a little bit back to what Nick was saying earlier with just the inability of these linebackers to make plays. We have a first and 10 run here for 10 yards by Tony Pollard, where McFadden chooses the right hole. It makes a good decision, fills the fills the gap, but misses the tackle. Then take Crowder as a chance to make a play on it. Misses the tackle. It's a double missed tackle play for the Giants linebackers here. And the end result is a 10-yard gain. Dude, 
Kellen Moore and the rushing attack are toying with these linebackers because, again, you have a double Y set now to the boundary. So both tight ends are to the boundary. Kellen Moore opens up with jet motion coming from the field side. He opens up to the field side and it ends up being a strong side run to the boundary. So those linebackers are seeing Kellen Moore open up that way. They're all starting to flow to the field side. Oh, it's a weak side field side type run. Let's get it. And it's not that. So now they have to process. Oh, okay. So is it going to is it going to be a jet sweep or is it going to Tony Pollard? And once they realize it's going to Tony Pollard, they have a lead blocker right in their face. And I did feel like Michael McFadden had a pretty solid game and he put himself in a good position to make this tackle, but he can't finish the play and take Crowder missed probably like three or four tackles in this game. And he had a lineman right up on him on this play. Take, take Crowder had a, had a rough go of it. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a rough, rough career, I guess, for Tate Crowder. Not really. I mean, he was a seven. He's a Mr. Irrelevant who's now playing like a full-time role. So good for him. God bless. But, you know, he's every game we go over this and every game he's he's a liability for this defense. It's <laughs> Again, I don't know why Blake Martinez isn't on this roster. It must just be that he's done from an athleticism standpoint, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, anything else you want to touch on before we get to that third and four, fourth and four combo? Now, the third and four play okay. was was excellent. Great by Adoree Jackson and also a great play call by Kellen Moore. You motion, there's a three wide receiver set. You motion CD lamb underneath the number two wide receiver and act like he's going to do a drag against man coverage. Typically the cornerback is going to lose his composure and aggressively try to play over the top of the number two wide receiver and the number three wide receivers release. But man, Adoree Jackson is so patient allowing CD lamb to kind of get into his break and he's just watching him and he's so reactive here. And then he works through the traffic to play through the catch point and, and, and make a PBU essentially here. This was a really disruptive play by Adore Jackson, but from a mental standpoint, man, he is so freaking dialed in and smooth. We didn't break down a play from him earlier, but he almost had an interception earlier where he was carrying the number one vertically. And then he sensed and flashed his eyes to the middle of the field. And he saw the backside cross, kind of like a Yankee concept coming from the backside and he comes off the number one vert and then almost intercepts the pass. It's almost like when you're, when you're playing Madden, the way he almost tried to intercept the pass. It's like when you read a play and you try to jump the pass, but you press Y really early. That's what it looked like from a Dory Jackson, but yeah. just putting your right, but just putting yourself in that position to do that is not something you see from a lot of NFL cornerbacks. So this dude is just a smart damn defensive back. Yeah. I see a lot of plays like that where he's using his, um, Peripheral vision, I guess I would call it, to just understand where to be when the play is not in, going in his direction. He understands the cut off of it and really help out how he can. So, yeah. And he breaks on the ball really well. I mean, he's he's a really, really good player. I'm, Gettleman didn't do much for us. And again, right now it's week three. And this is a guy who's been injured his entire career at some point in every single season, I think it was. So, let's wait. <laughs> I mean, it's part of the profile. It's part of the reason why no one wanted to sign him in free agency except and not no one. He had a much bigger market than Kenny Galladay, for example. But it's part of the reason why we're able to get him, I think. But if he can, you know, get over that part, I, I look, man, I'm a big believer that injuries are mostly luck. Like what happened to like that Sterling Shepard injury? How is that not luck based? Right. And like Saquon Barkley, how is all hinge, hinge like one of his injuries last year? One of his injuries in his career from last year was like him just weirdly running a route and getting like stepped on or whatever it was. So it's just like it's a lot of bad luck to it. But right now, healthy Odori Jackson is one of the best pieces on this roster. So some there are there are there can be wins in free agency, I guess, is the moral of the story, because unfortunately, Nick, look, if I had it my way moving forward, I would want to try to just be nothing in free agency. I'd want to play free agency exactly as the Baltimore Ravens play free agency. I think they they've 
completely perfected how to play free agency. You sign, if you're going to spend money in free agency, it's always guys who are released. So you don't, so they don't count, count, get the comp, count against the comp, compensatory pick formula. That's the key to their thing. The other thing is they don't chase these big name free agents. But unfortunately, our roster has so many holes. We're going to have to be players next year in free agency. We will be, and we're going to have to be. And so hopefully we can find more Dory Jackson. But yeah, great play. The fourth and four we went over earlier. Me and Nick aren't in love with this call here. I would love this call. Even if they ran it earlier like they did and Rush did a good job diagnosing I still love the call from a third and long or a fourth and long standpoint because I still don't think there's enough time for a post-catch to get to get – you know, to, to beat the rally of the defenders, but with four yards to go, it just doesn't seem to make sense. As I said it, like, look, if I, I think about this, if love doesn't blitz, I don't know where rush is going with the football and Kayvon Thibodeau has such a good pass rush move that it's either going to be a sack or rush is going to try to spin out of that sack from Thibodeau and roll to his right. Nothing is going to be open plays dead. He might try to run with it, but if they don't blitz love there, it's probably a stop. And the whole game's different. It's Darnay Holmes who comes on the blitz. Yeah. Holmes but you're right. Love. You're right. If they don't blitz him there, I feel like Cooper Rush is absolutely screwed. And that is a testament to Kayvon Thibodeau, who is taking strays online. Like Kayvon Thibodeau, this is a high leverage fourth and four possible game changing situation when the score is tied. And he swims inside on Tyler Smith so effortlessly here. This would have been a sack by Kayvon Thibodeau and the narrative would be completely different. Possibly an interception because Rush might have just panicked and tried to right. throw to the number three receiver breaking over the middle of the field, not really realizing that O'Shane Zimenez is sinking underneath yes. that. So great play by Thibodeau. And again, look, this is a play that I like, but in this situation, when once it was already diagnosed once, it's one that maybe, maybe since it didn't work, you'd like to uh, rethink. It's not even for me that like it's me for me. It's the depth of the call. Like this is not a good call for fourth and short, in my opinion. And it's OK call sometimes when, you, like you said, you don't use it often or you didn't use it earlier in the game and it wasn't diagnosed. If it's kind of by surprise, I'm OK with it in that standpoint. Like the Julian Love sack from a couple of weeks ago, was that like a fourth and seven or third and seven? So it was a little bit more depth the, the the five and under. I don't know. I just know that, look, if they don't if they don't everything about this play look good, except for one thing. Love coming off. I mean, not love Holmes coming off his guy and giving Rush an opportunity to throw it before Kayvon Thibodeau got there. But it is what it is. They made the play and then they had a nice uh, play action tight end leak out. And that was for 10 yards. And then they had the lamb play with the fast three. And ultimately, a couple plays later, lamb is making that unbelievable one handed red zone catch. So anything else that you wanted to break down from those three plays that went wrong or just that you wanted to touch on? Now we should probably move on to the next drive and we've chastised rightfully so the linebacker position a lot, Dan, but on this first, first and 10 on this drive, the only first and 10 on this drive, Micah McFadden shows glimpse, showed a glimpse of why we should be maybe optimistic about his future here. Look, the, the, Cowboys just have big personnel. The Cowboys have 13 personnel out here. Everybody is, is just in basically all condensed. CD lamb is right behind the tight ends and Micah McFadden protects his cutback lane, sheds Terrence Steele and makes a tackle for only a five yard gain. So hopefully McFadden can continue to do things like this and we'll start seeing his snap count go up even more. He played 30 snaps in this game, yeah. which was, I think more, maybe around the same amount that he played in weeks one and two combined. And this one's just a little unfortunate for me, Nick, because great response from the defense. They gave up two straight touchdown drives, and then they force a three and out. But somehow, this three and out leads to three points for the Cowboys. Why? An absolute epic special teams breakdown by the Giants that puts them right in field goal position from the start of this drive. So this is a great response from a defense, like you said, 
But unfortunately, it led to three points that were ultimately important in a game like this. So just the special teams obviously has to improve moving forward. The next drive. <laughs> and and also, though, the, on that third and one, the Giants had two DPIs or at least defensive holding on yeah, Noah Brown yeah. and C.D. Lamb. The Giants were just hugging them here. That, that officiating crew was just horrendous for so many reasons, man. There's bad officials in the NFL these days. It's just across the board. They need to do something about that, I guess. I don't even know. But then they force a punt on the next drive, but also a really stupid play by the Cowboys, in my opinion, to, on that third down call to run play action and, and put anywhere near the boundary. And they do go out of bounds and they save the Giants like a key timeout. Um, and then eventually that's the end of the game. After that, the Cowboys get the ball back and they kneel it out. So let's dive into some superlatives and let's wrap this thing up, Nick. Give me your unheralded player on the film. Kayvon Thibodeau. I think I'm going to go with Kayvon. Yeah, I think Kayvon Thibodeau, people are, he didn't have a sack. What the heck, man? No, I felt like Kayvon Thibodeau played fine out there. He wasn't really a liability. Yeah, there were a couple of times where he was blocked down from a from a tight end who had excellent, excellent positioning to block down on him where you're like, oh, man, I wish he would have disrupted that play. That's difficult for, for him to do in that situation, maybe be a little bit more aware in those types of situations. But at the same time, that was like the first time he saw it. That was one of his first plays out there on that 14-yard Tony Pollard run. So I'm going to go Kayvon. I'm going to go with Xavier McKinney for this one, Nick. Um, look, from what he did in the run game, which doesn't get talked about at all, some plays were like first down, three-yard run, but it would have been huge if, if Xavier McKinney wasn't there. From what he did from a diagnose from the his ability to read and react, he was asked to wear so many hats as he typically is now in this defense. He's no longer just playing the deep half. The great pass breakup you talked about with CeeDee Lamb. Yeah, I mean, there's like you you can look at it like, you know, there wasn't some kind of big interception or something like that. And that's maybe why he's not being talked about this week. But he played an unbelievable game, and I thought it was very unheralded in this game. Let's go to a new category that I made up for this week, Nick. And that category would be. Actually, let me do something first before I do that, because I was thinking about this throughout this whole podcast. We didn't get to it at all. Through the past, this Giants team has had guys like Jabril Peppers, Landon Collins, guys who can be tough, physical run stoppers in the alley. Xavier Kinney does a pretty good job of that, but that's not really who he is, and he's not really that, in my opinion, he doesn't really impact the game in the alley as a defender in the run game like those two. Is that something you feel like this defense is missing, Those ty- that type of presence? I feel like Julian Love and Xavier McKinney can execute those assignments. I just don't really think it's probably to the level that Landon Collins and Jabril Peppers did. But I think both Love and McKinney are probably more well-rounded players than both of them in terms of coverage and things like that. They're definitely more well-rounded in terms of coverage. I just think about it because I'm I'm just thinking strictly run game right now. And I just think about, like, the linebackers are so bad. What could help out? Maybe a safety who's a little bit better against the run. Uh, not saying not saying they're bad against the run. I think, like you said, both McKinney and Love are heady players who have high football IQs and get themselves in the right position against the run. But there was something to what Peppers and Landon Collins did just from a pure, like, unadulterated, rip your rip down field, rip downhill, throw your body in, and your bigger player with a lot more pop in your tackle, especially Landon Collins. I mean, he was just an absolute beast monster in that regard. So something I was thinking about as we talked about, as I just thought about it with McKinney, but let's go to your highest effort player in this game. Highest effort player is going to be Dexter Lawrence. He had to pick up a lot of slack without Leonard Williams there, and he was still... Now, he didn't chase... 
didn't chase the quarterback Cooper Rush down the sideline like he did with Baker Mayfield, but the guy was just everywhere anytime the Cowboys wanted to attempt to run inside the tackle box. I'd like to pick somebody else, but my pick is also Dexter Lawrence. It's, it's the pick. It's the right pick here. Okay, let's go to who you thought was just the overall best player on tape from the Giants defense. Overall best player on tape? See, I can't go with the Dory Jackson here, so I'm going to go with the Xavier McKinney here. You you went with him for your unheralded, and we broke him down a lot of different plays. The only three and out that really meant anything for the New York Giants was basically a product of Xavier McKinney just putting himself in position for success. So I'm going to go with McKinney. Yeah, McKinney's the right pick. McKinney's my pick as well. The only other person who comes to mind is Dexter Lawrence, but I think McKinney played a better overall game than him because Lawrence didn't do too much in the passing game that really impacted this as a pass rusher. Not his fault, obviously, in my opinion, at least. I mean, it's just who he, he needs the help of having Leonard Williams there for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm going with McKinney there. Give me a pass rushing grade one through 10. Look, it, it was so difficult to rush the passer. Game. Yeah, because of the scheme and because how game, quick. So I'm just going to go with like a four. I'm just going to go with a straight yeah, four. I'm not even going to give it a decimal because I don't really know how to quantify it. Yeah, I'm going with an NA here. It's just an NA. When someone runs, when a team runs this much, first of all, they ran the ball a lot, the Cowboys. Second of all, most of their passing game was quick game. So NA for me, like, just don't know how to evaluate a pass rush when you, when you face this kind of offensive game plan. Run defense one through 10. That's an interesting one. It's an interesting one because if we broke it down interior run defense, I'd probably say like right. a 6.8 yeah. outside laterally. It's like a 2.1 or something like that. So collectively, I'm not going to take the time to average it together. Let's go with a 3.7 because I think the lateral, the inability to protect yes. the outside run proved to be a big difference maker in this game. Yeah, I'll go even lower, 2.8. Just hard to watch. These linebackers don't make plays. That's the bottom line for me. They do not. Nick, the way you actually described it earlier, how did you describe it, Nick? Because I thought that was the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, I said it twice already in the podcast, but let's go for the trio. When one linebacker attempts to make a play but doesn't succeed, the other linebacker is not good enough to help out his teammate. Essentially, they're both not good enough to 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 work in tandem with each other. One makes a mistake, the other one's not going to be there to help him out. Yep. And it's okay. It's first year of the rebuild. We all need to step back and consider that there's a long way to go on this roster. Linebacker is going to be a big one for me and Nick. I can't wait to scout some of these dudes in the in the offseason, man, because And I will say this though, Dan, yeah. too. Michael McFadden is the one player at the linebacker position who could break that because he is a rookie and he is young. So I think we should give him credit and give him a little bit of time. But in terms of Calitro and Crowder, come on now. Yeah. Crowder, I'm done with completely. This is year three or whatever it is. That's there's nothing changing there. McFadden, I do still have some hope for. Kalitro is just some dude that they like. Good for him. He's a high effort guy, but he's it's not it's not what they need there. So anyway, things will get better there. Personnel will get better. We're really excited to keep breaking down this team on film. Like we said, keep it locked and loaded on the Big Blue Banter podcast. Like I said, more good things are coming. One, an upgrade to Dan's mic. Yeah, we're doing an upgrade. Getting a mixer. I don't even know what a mixer is, but hopefully I can figure that out. I suck with technology. And as I said last podcast, we suck with technology. And Nick took some offense to that, as he should. He's like, no, I'm pretty good with technology. And so you know what? Good for him. He is good with technology. So I'll just speak for myself. But I'll probably be calling Nick up so he can walk me through. What kind of mixer? mixer. What kind of mixer is it? Yeah, I I don't know exactly. It was provided by the company. Well, I'll I'll let you know, though. I'll look into the order history and, and, and give you some details on that. But we got that. We've got game preview coming up for the Bears. We may do one other podcast. I'm not sure, but we got a game preview coming up for week four. We've got potential 
live streams coming to that YouTube page of these all 22 breakdowns. That's in the works. We'll see what happens there. But thank you for keeping it locked and loaded. Thank you for rating and reviewing on iTunes. We've seen some more come in, so I really wanted to thank those people who took the time to leave a rating and leave a review. There's things that we need on this podcast. It starts with one thing. Make sure every episode is downloaded. You can set it up to auto-download. If you hit play and don't download, that literally doesn't help us at all. So while I understand why you might do that, because look, you're busy, you're streaming, don't do that. Please help us. We'll also ask you to give us a rating and review. We'll also ask you to follow us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. But thank you to MQ44 for the review. Thank you to Giant D, even though you did leave a four instead of a five star. You said there was an easy fix for me to get the five star. I have to stop referring to us as Nick and me. And I have to start referring to us as Nick and I, which I respect. Look, I, I will say this about the grammar as it, re- as it applies to a podcast. When you're saying a thousand words or whatever this is, whatever it amounts to on a podcast form, all free-flowing with zero prep. It's all just off the cuff. Grammar is tough. Like, there's word choices I wish I could have back. There's grammar Same. I wish I could have back. Having said that, now that you put it in my head, Giant D, I'm thinking about it, and I think I had won this podcast, one Nick and me, but I won't. But I thought about it, and I messed it up, and there will be a lot of Nick and I's moving forward. But you did also say, which I thought was really nice of you, that the two-hour podcast we did with the entertainer, you said it was the best. You had amazing chemistry, and it was one of the best discussions you've ever heard in podcast form. So thank you. Ron the QB gives us five stars but also says fix Dan's audio. We're working on that. Thank you for still not using that against us. Dan Hughes, shout-out. Colin M., shout-out. New York Giants fan, 2225, shout-out. Shout-outs across the board. Thank you guys so much. Frankie B, 87. Nikki Com. B-Man Giants fan. So thanks again. Really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.